Hi, Namrata. Welcome to 11 Questions. Hi, Daman. How are you? I'm good. And I want to start by asking if you're a tea person or a coffee person. Oh, uh, that's a trick question. <laughs> I think for me, it depends on the time of day. Um, I love coffee in the mornings and then tea in the afternoons. I love cha, but particularly my dad's cha in the whole family. He makes the best cha. So uh, I only get to have it when I visit my parents. But uh yeah, so in the mornings, I like coffee. I'm not a coffee connoisseur, nor am I a tea connoisseur, but I like both of them. <laughs> and you have a book coming out this year. So I want to know if you always wanted to be a writer. You know, I think so, but it's it's hard to tell because um, I always told myself stories and I always thought about, um, in my head, I just lived in, in storyland, right? And I was such a voracious reader, but... I didn't really think I could write stories because I grew up, my family came here when I was eight and I grew up in America and there were very few stories by Indian American writers. And I thought it was really for other people, right? It was for um, these amazingly talented people. And then, then I came across Chitra Divakaruni and her short story collection, Arranged Marriages, and then Parthi Mukherjee. And I was like, wait a minute, I think, yeah, okay, I want to do this. So I spent uh, some time reading. And then I just, um, I was a, a marketing communications major, and I was going to go into the advertising industry. And I came home from my senior year of college. And I said, Hey, I think I want to be a writer. And my parents were like, that's great. But you also need a job. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I, um, I've been writing ever since, but, uh, you know, and I've written a lot of books and got traction here and there, but this is my first um, incredible novel. So it's taken a, me a winding path to get here, but I'm glad to be here. And how much do you think your culture plays a role in what you write? I think it's immersive because you can't really separate yourself from your culture. So it's very much the lens that I bring to my writing. Um, I live, you know, in this duality that we all do as Indian Americans or Western Eastern duality um, of being assimilated. But at the same time, inside my house is very much Gujarati, right? The food, the, the language, the relationships, the, the traditions, all of that. So part of that is just um, the way I've navigated that and I write about it, but I also lean into a more assimilated voice because I can say, you know, I have a lot of Desi friends and they're way more versed in Bollywood than I am. So it's, 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 if I have a Bollywood reference in my book, it is from like that distant lens versus the familiar lens. So I think it's just navigating both of those parts of me, the Eastern and the Western part is where the stories uh, really lie for me. And I read that you grew up in a lot of places. Um, so did that influence your storytelling in any way yeah yeah I I grew up in New Jersey but after that I was fortunate enough to move around and live in different places and in this book particularly there are like homages to London and um, other places I've been and every city um, when you spend more than a few weeks there you start like understanding the the character of that city you know and so having lived in 
New York versus Spokane, the character of those two things, those two cities is very, very different. And Spokane, I really leaned into nature and the, 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 the town motto is near nature, near perfect. And it was beautiful, but I was a city person who moved to this uh, idyllic little small town in Western Washington state. And I was like, okay, I think I'll learn how to be a, a triathlete. And I went as far as sprint triathlete, because, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, you know, it was, um, I bring all of that back into my writing because I learned different things in different places, you know, in London, I learned um, Indian food is better there <laughs> than here for takeout. Uh, um, <laughs> And, you know, in New York, I learned the, the, how confined it is and how small your footprint is as you navigate when you live there. Um, and in Boston, it's very much a, um, I call it a town pretending to be a city. It's very much, um, it's old, but not as old as London. And it's got uh, different pockets and of different I guess, like uh, personalities in the city. So, you know, Back Bay, which is where my book is set, is very much, is very different from where I live, which is um, in past downtown Boston in the Southern uh, part of the city. So it's just, uh, I live amongst a very diverse community and Back Bay is very non-diverse. So um, yeah, I, 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 all of the references that I've um, lived through will pop up in my writings. Um, my next book is a little bit unfamiliar because I'm going to a region I haven't lived in. It's set in Napa Valley. And while I visited there, I haven't really had an immersive experience. So that's going to be an interesting uh, learning for me. <laughs> and speaking of your book, tell me a little bit about the book. Like, What's it about and what made you want to write this one? It's about a, a nomadic photojournalist who inherits uh, an apartment in a brownstone in Back Bay, Boston, and then she discovers a community of Indian aunties, a sexy neighbor, a rambunctious puppy, but through it all, she also starts to discover secrets that about her own past that she didn't know and what her connection to this building and that community is. Um, and really what inspired me was... Um, I came across an academic paper that cataloged all of the MIT, Indian MIT graduates. And I realized that there were about 100 in 19, between 1920 and 1940 that came to study at MIT pre-colonial, before the Raj left, <laughs> sorry. Uh, and um, so they wanted to purposely study here versus in the, in the UK because they wanted to separate themselves and then go back and rebuild. And I thought that was part of history I've never learned, right? It was something brand new that I just discovered a few years ago. And they walked the same steps that I do. And I was, I wondered like what that long ago, what would it have been like for immigrants to come here and, you know, not have access to the food that they're used to, not have access to people who spoke their language, be labeled different, right? Different color skin. And particularly at that time, what it felt like and what, how they must've been classified. So from there, I thought about the premise of like, well, what if there was a, there were a few families that just stayed and what if they were like the constants for them? And that's the fictional piece of like, and then the, the house is really the legacy of the people that were here. So it's really about 
you know, three generations deep in terms of like who's living there and the the legacy of the original people that were here and how they then wound up in this place and then how this character is connected. So I wanted to tell a little bit of that piece of history. And then I wanted to talk a little bit because I wrote this during the start of the pandemic, a little bit how we form connections and what the tension between isolation and community, how we find it, whether it's, you know, uh, through distance or through closeness. So a lot of it is about her sort of choosing to not have community, even though she does for her profession, to finding this sense of place and understanding what that means for her. That sounds very interesting. I look forward to reading it. <laughs> Let me know what you think. <laughs> when you were writing this book, did you follow a routine? Oh, no. <laughs> I, <laughs> I wish I could say yes, but um, I'm a morning writer. So at best, my routine is uh, sometime be- between the regular workday starts, I spend about two hours writing but it is really dependent on deadlines. It's dependent on, um, dare I say, mood or inspiration, <laughs> or it depends on whether I hit snooze too many times on my alarm clock. Um, most of my, my a bulk of my writing and revising is done on the weekends when I carve out bigger chunks of time. But uh, I, wish I, I wish I could do a routine. I am one of those that has a lot of planners, but never writes in any of them. <laughs> What would you say is something that you find challenging in the writer's life? Everything. (laughs) I think the, the, you know, I've been writing, I started writing short stories and then I've been writing novels for over two decades now. Every time I start a project, it's like, how do I write a book? There's so much craft advice and there's so many different workshops and things that I've taken. And then it hasn't been until the last four years that I'm like, all right, I just have to find my own process. And my process is finally like, I've leaned into the challenge where I'm like, I'm going to just mull for a few months. And I have a character that comes into my head, figure out what their story is and everything happens here again, the not writing down on planners. Like, um, I think the hardest part is saying, when is the mulling over and I have to put pen to paper or in this case, like open up a word document and say, it's go time. Um, so that discipline of, I could just live, as I said earlier, you know, I, I just wrote stories in my head all the time. I never wrote them on paper because I didn't think I could. And now that I am writing them on paper, I find it really hard to switch from having them in my head <laughs> to putting them down. Writing is one piece of it then comes the whole publishing thing. What was the process like? I will say like having been in this uh, space for so long and trying for over two decades to break through, I'm no different than all of the challenges that other non-Desi writers have found or non-marginalized writers or non-white uh, writers have found, right? Um, carving out your space and trying to tell the stories you want to tell has was always hard for Uh, anyone who didn't write to that white western reader and um, you know when I first started pitching books they were completely um, they only had white white characters like I had a a novel about a survivors of a school shooting set in a western um, north northeast part of Washington state 
And that when I started published or when I started pitching that, I got the, but you're Indian, what qualifies you to write white characters? I'm like, well, I grew up here. <laughs> School shootings matter to me too, apparently. And then I started seeing like little breaks and more people not like post Jambalahari, more people uh, having stories told and more people gaining access to the editors and, and publishing. And then I knew that um, I couldn't necessarily just be mediocre. I had to really practice my craft and I had to really um, spend time, not just on throwing out the ideas, but making the book as tight as possible and making sure that the, the narrative arc was there and all of that. Then I did Pitch Wars and I met Farah Hiran and uh, she brought me into the Desi community. And then um, when I was querying agents, it was, oh, I, I have a stack of passes and no's. And it was more like, well, what is the trend right now for Indian American fiction? Or what is, what is marketable? What is sellable? And um, my current agent, Sarah Younger, when I matched with her, I was actually writing rom-coms because that was a thing. And I, I love romance and I love rom-coms, but I never felt comfortable writing in that space. I think that the, the, the challenge is so difficult when you know the, like what the ending has to be and the beats have to be to sustain that tension all the way through. And there's some amazingly talented writers that do that. And I wanted to tell stories in a way that I wanted to tell stories. And so it took a while for Sarah and I to figure out my voice together. And then as I started writing more in the women's fiction space, but still like non-literary, it really felt like, okay, this is the type of stories I want to tell. And that's when everything started to come together. And uh, this book is now coming out in June. <laughs> if someone's listening out there wanting to write a book, what's one piece of advice you would give them? Just write it, write the exact book that is in your heart and finish it. I did this myself. We get caught up in the publishing of it. And so the writing suffers in a way. The best advice I ever got was just finish the book before you think about what you will do with the book. And that's where everything started um, working for me. So that's the advice. Just write it, finish the book. <laughs> Love that. Yeah. Now, if you were to be deserted on an island with only three books, which oh. ones would you take? <laughs> um, oh, this is a tough one. I'm going to pick Persuasion from Jane Austen because the angst is like just my jam. And I'm going to be upset because I'm on a deserted island. So might as well just feel all the feelings. <laughs> um, I'm probably going to want a thick book of crossword puzzles of some kind and uh, a pencil so I can erase and start again because <laughs> I love puzzles and love uh, doing that. And then I'll probably probably want a field guide of some sort to identify the plants and flora and fauna around me so that I understand what the where the poison is, <laughs> not to eat that. That's smart. <laughs> <laughs> yes. If you were to pick one interesting life experience to share, what would you tell us today? I climbed Mount Kilimanjaro and that was the best wow. first thing ever. <laughs> and, um, I climbed it with my sister 
And uh, it was, I, I got hurt on the second day and I just kept going. And for four days, four or five days, I spent mostly just with my guide and me because my pace was just so much slower than everybody else. And we'd leave before the group and then we'd get there way after the group. And when you're just by yourself and in pain and deprived of oxygen, I kept thinking like, huh, this is how deep my well runs. And I think that was just such a transformative experience that I don't find things that I used to find hard, hard anymore. Cause I think about that time and place. And I know that suffering ends and pain ends and solitude ends and all of that. Like everything is impermanent. I am not a philosopher by the way, but I did, you know, I did have a lot of time to think on that mountain. So <laughs> but I love that. That's my transformative experience. Yeah. It was and I won't do it again, just so you know. <laughs> Thank you, Namrita, for answering my questions. Uh before I let you go, can you tell our listeners when the book is gonna be out and where they can buy it, or even if they want to get in touch with you, how can they do that? Yeah, the book is Candid Life of Mina Dave, and it will be out June 2021. And it's available everywhere at the bookstore of your choice or the online bookstore of your choice. And um, you can get in touch with me at nampatel.com, which is my website and has all my social media handles on Instagram, Twitter, and yeah, email. You can email me as well. And you can subscribe to a newsletter that I will be launching soon. Best of luck with your book, Namrata. I look forward to reading it. And thank you so much for being my guest today. It was so great talking to you. Thank you. I really enjoyed it. I appreciate it. And let me know what you think of the book. (laughs) 